Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Well, we have now embarked on our final month of the the discipleship training, the eight topics that we launched out with. Can you believe we've now come to the final topic? And what is that? The local church. Started right with the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Went through all the major doctrines, topics. Not because we think that discipleship happens in a classroom, but people that are going to disciple others need to be well established in biblical truth, to pass on. Or else it's the law of diminishing expertise. Do you know what that means? Those that pass on a watered-down version, it gets more watered-down as it goes. And then you get some weird stuff, like crystal gazing in the sun and calling on Mary to heal your brother's toenail. I kid you not, there's some weird stuff out there. So we need good doctrine, Amen. And as we come to this last topic, it's a very exciting, it's a great one to end with, the local church and the church of Jesus Christ. And tomorrow night will be our last night of the discipleship training. As the following week, the church gets together to celebrate. So we're finishing on the topic of the church, but we're finishing with a party and a celebration, which is probably had more energy expended in these last few weeks than, than anything else, but it's going to be a good time of celebration and remembering and envisioning to the future. Amen. I want to ask the life group that's taking the offering this morning, would they please come forward as they do? Oh, I'm going to get ready to, to share the word. Let's, can we stand up for a last time? I know you've been on your feet a long time. But let's stand up because I'd like to pray for you. And in praying, I would like to thank you who have partnered. 30 years, this church has been self-financed, self-governed, and self-perpetuating through the faithfulness of those who've gone before us. Amen? This church stands, this building rather, stands here as a testimony. A place where we can gather and run our operations from. And looking to the future, we are the church for the future. So you need to ask God, what part do you play in the contributing to the needs of the house, to the ministry, giving to the gospel, whatever language you use for that, offering tithes, giving, generosity, and do what he shows you to do. Amen. So Lord, we thank you for these 30 years as we look back and say, there's a house situated here in a very strategic area with networks of roads around it and reaching into a very dire part of the city with many needs. We pray, Lord, according to the, uh, Paul the Apostle, when he said, my God shall supply your needs according to his riches in glory. We pray the ongoing supplying of our needs, both individually and corporately, as a, as a local church. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. As you take your seats, I'm going to speak 
It was a, quite a novel experience for me. I have shared with you many times how I got saved. I think some of you can recite it better than I can. I got tricked into giving my life to Jesus by a bunch of guys at work who took me on a camp, not telling me what the agenda was and how many people were praying for me. But after my conversion, and it was a conversion, it was a deep work of the Spirit with Snot and Trana and a deep sense of God's presence. The first advice I was given is, you need to find a spiritual home. Now, what does that mean to a person who's never been in church, never opened a Bible, never been exposed to stained glass window language? Find yourself a spiritual home. It's like, But deep down in my heart, I knew that I wanted to connect with people who felt like me. Because I sure I wasn't the only one. And I would speak to people at work who I knew went to church. And I'd visit a few churches. But there just didn't seem to be that Sunday and then Monday to Friday experience that, that I'd come acquainted with. But I found it in a group of guys who gave me a lift one day as I was hitchhiking home after work. And they were bubbling and excited about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. I don't know much what they were talking about. I still never had a language, a Bible rather, even at that stage, never mind being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I went along to a meeting and I saw the reality of the person of Jesus in them on Sunday and I saw it from Monday to Friday. And I got hooked into this community, but it was weird. I want to tell you, as a non-church goer, to go into an environment where they sit around in a circle and someone plays on a guitar and they sing Kumbaya. Coming out of a background of nightclubs and, you know, Moody Blues and Deep Purple and Dire Straits and Pink Floyd and now to be sitting around singing Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning, burning, burn. I mean, I giggled. I was giggling. I'd look around with that. all got their eyes closed. Very intense. Give me oil in my lamp. I thought, what? Are, I'm getting into a cult. This is weird. And no sooner I thought it was weird, it became weird. Oh, I got to work. Sometime I got chatting to these guys at work and I started sharing some of these experiences and they just had one word of advice for me. Run! Rather come to our church on Sunday. But I knew their church and you had to pray through somebody to get to Jesus. And, and then the rest of the week they never spoke about Jesus unless it was at the end of two cuss words. Now I'm not exaggerating, yeah? And I'm like... What part of Jesus is this awesome Savior, my best friend, this, the, the lover of my soul, the one I feel His presence when I wake up in the morning and go to sleep at night. You're adding on at the end of a cuss word and you want me to come to church with you and pray through someone to get to Jesus. So that was my exposure to this thing called church. I'm glad I had a genuine conversion. Because it's the only thing that kept me in this weird church. A woman used to wear hats and coverings, didn't shave, lifted their hands, and it was like tumbleweeds if the wind blew. 
the, the guys that have short hair. I was told to get rid of all my colorful clothes because it drew attention to the flesh. And I just wanted to do what was right, you know. So I got, I burnt all my, my deep purple and black Sabbath records and all the other works of Satan like Santana and the rest. Because I wanted to just be a good Christian and I burnt my colorful clothes too and cut my hair. But I knew Jesus. Yeah, it's fashionable now. It wasn't back then. And I just knew I loved Jesus and I loved these people. They became my family. They were like the family I never had. Even though some of them were weird. But I knew they were my family. They spoke my language. They connected when we prayed and worshipped together. I could feel the, the energy. So I've had my journey with this thing called the church. And I'm so sure you have to. The church. First of all. The church belongs to Jesus. I want to give you some foundational stuff there this morning to anchor this month of Ecclesia, the local church. That word church comes from a Greek word, Ecclesia, which means to be called out, the called out ones, the ones Jesus called to himself. And that refers to only one church of all time, of all buildings, of all people, but it also refers in the New Testament to the local gathering in a city or a town or a village with elders in place in relationship to apostolic oversight that's constituted a New Testament church. New Testament church is not drinking coffee with three mates of yours at mug and bean and saying, here we are the church. Now you are believers, but when the Bible talks about the church, you'll see speaking about something different. The church belongs to Jesus. First of all, I will build, say, my church. My church and the gates of Hades will not prevail. Colossians 1.18 And he is the head of the body, say, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. And secondly, the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2, after the first gospel message was preached, a whole community of people cried out to be saved. And when they called on the name of the Lord and were saved, it says of them, then those who had gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the word of God, the fellowship, what we have here, the breaking of bread, and in prayer. And then down in verse 46 it says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and the breaking of bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God. And having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That's the way into the church. Not new membership classes. We can do new membership classes to explain vision and values of a local house. But those who were saved were added into the church. You hear of a lot of churches starting somewhere and suddenly there are hundreds of people. But they're all people that came from other churches because there was a better gig in town and a better show and a more modern smoke machine 
That's not the church growing. That's the church moving from one corner to the other. Converts being added is the church growing. Amen? We can run many programs that attract a lot of people. Thirdly, the church is the body of Christ on earth today. That's why when we lay hands on people, we do it with a sense of reverence. Because Jesus says that we are his body. In Corinthians, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have been made to drink into one spirit. So we see that we are and it goes on in verse 14. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Now, you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers. After that, miracles, gifts of healings, helps, administrations, variety of tongues. You see, it's no mistake you were born at this time of world history. It's no by chance I was born at this time. I wasn't born during the days of Martin Luther. You weren't born during the days of Cleopatra. You weren't born during the second world. Well, maybe some of, someone has been. But, but this is our day now. And we are part of his body now. And we have gifts that we need now operating in his body. The fourth thing is how Christ built his church is that he, Jesus himself, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, and some to be teachers. Who gave the gifts? Jesus gave the gifts. He gave the gifts for this reason, for the equipping, that's what we're trying to do at the moment in discipleship, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of ministry. You see, it's only as the Teachers and prophets and evangelists do their job well are people equipped for work of ministry. And then as we've seen, that ministry comes before maturity. Because it's only as we step out in our gifts and start serving that maturity comes. We don't wait first to become mature before we minister. We minister and we become mature in the process. Till we all come to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to the perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is the end goal. That we keep maturing as we minister, as the gifts do their work. And that's how the body is built. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Can you say amen? God has never intended you to live in the eternal condition of spiritual babyhood. If after 20 years as being a believer, we still can't pray for somebody, then thank you. Then maybe you just weren't fortunate like many have been to have been disciples. But a baby starts crying. It's natural. But you give a baby age-appropriate care. But as we become mature and grow through ministry, 
We should be doing the work of ministry. And that's how the world is going to be changed. Is when every believer is moving towards maturity of the fullness of the stature of Christ. If we're just waiting on a church to entertain us, make me feel good, meet my need from 9 to 10 on a Sunday morning so I can just get on with my life, you will stay a baby eternally. Even if you are born again. But when we expose ourselves to the gifts and we step out with the little we have, the growth comes. The fifth thing about the church I want to say today is Jesus gave gifts and he gave leaders to the church. Now, this is quite a big topic and it's beyond the scope of a short teaching like I'm giving this morning. But it's a very vital part of Scripture. Because Jesus clearly had leaders, but leadership in the New Testament is always framed in servanthood. He made that very clear. You want to be the greatest leader, become the greatest server. But a leader still is given authority to do the work that's been delegated. No authority, no delegation. No delegation, no authority. It doesn't work. So we find that Jesus places gifts, and a, re a read of the New Testament clearly puts that in position. But just quickly, Jesus gave leadership gifts. Paul is sent as an apostle. The role of elders covered comprehensively in those chapters. The role of deacons covered comprehensively in those passages. And these notes will be handed out tomorrow night when we discuss some of these. And you can come with questions if you have. It's become far more conversational on a Monday night. We meet upstairs that small room over there, and eyeball to eyeball. We've had some real fun times these last few Monday nights. Amen? It's got to the stage of ministering, activating now. Leaders can only carry out their responsibilities if they respect it. The scripture says in Hebrews 13, Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls, as those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. In other words, don't make your leaders' jobs harder than they already are. Make them a joy. Amen? But then you are a joy. So, I don't know how it goes in other churches, but you're a joy. A responsibility of an elder. Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God. Elders are placed in the house, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after themselves. This was a warning that Jesus, uh, Paul gave the uh, Ephesian elders. But it's a warning that has been documented in Scripture and brought to us today because it's a real, real challenge. The easiest thing for a person to do with some gifting is to go into a community where there's already an infrastructure, people and treasure and effort and, and giftings and draw people to themselves and then conveniently slip down the road and start their own thing. It's easy. And my attitude is let them go because it's not as easy as they think it is. Let them go find out how it really is. 
I always smile at that. I used to love even seeing pastors come through and go to their own churches. It was almost like, what hit me? But if a guy's divisive, sometimes you just let him go. But the leaders in the house have to watch out to protect the flock. There's a God-given mandate to have our eyes open. And that's true of all the leaders. So this is how the local church operates. Then there's godly order we see in Scripture. Paul goes in Corinthians, a long discussion about how so many must prophesy and only so many must speak in tongues. And then just in the service, in the meeting, when the church gathers, he gives us a whole couple of chapters of things. Some of them are culturally relevant, like women's coverings and, and other activities like that, very culturally understandable. But many principles are transferable to the present time. And it all boils down to one word, honor each other. And don't do something that's going to offend someone deliberately. If it offends someone, you come up on the stage wearing a bikini and leading worship with a cigarette in your mouth. Don't do it because they'll be offended. And it's not helpful. So Paul writes the whole of half of Corinthians to say, come on church, you guys are just going crazy and doing your own thing and it needs to stop now. And he says, let all things be done decently and in order. So for those who say, we don't want any order in our meetings, go listen to what Paul had to say. But those who are scared that we do things that are different, go and read what he also said. Let all things be done. Let so all things. What are all things? So, but as long as they're decent and there's order. Do you think what we did in laying on of hands this morning was decent? Do you think there was some order? Is it all things? So it's all things. Different needs, different people. We don't do this every Sunday. Well, I don't know when last did we do this? Like two years ago? So it's not like, you know, every Sunday, let's, let's have a prayer tunnel. But hey, maybe we shouldn't wait two more years. So let all things be done. But there's decently and in order in the church. And in Timothy, Paul, he writes, these things I write to you that I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar of ground and ground of the truth. Wow, there's so much packed into that verse. Again, there's a decent way of doing things. In that verse, there's where we conduct ourselves. There's order. There are those gifts God has given and there are those offices of leadership He's put in place. There's order and we learn how to conduct ourselves. And He says it's the, because this is the church, the pillar and ground of the truth. Do you know that it's been the church through the ages that's kept the flame of the gospel alight? Yes, the church went wonky here and there in the dark ages. But even through the dark ages, if you study church history, you'll find there was a remnant who were Bible, Scripture-devoted, Jesus-loving, Holy Spirit-filled people, people like Madame Guyon and many others that were persecuted and locked up and silenced because of their relationship with the Holy Spirit. So this is not a new thing, but it's the church that's been the pillar, the church being the called-out ones. Jesus loves. The church. 
I mean, we could just stop there. Because the church has got a bad rap on the internet. And the church has had a bad rap in some circles where we don't need, we don't need no church control. <laughs> it's rebellion, man. I'm not talking about a church that's legalistic and controls you and manipulates you and, and, and sucks the life out of you. Although some Mondays I feel like I've just described. Now I'm talking about a church where there's life. That's, there's nothing like the church when it's operating the way Jesus intended. And Jesus loves the church. He loves the church. And people writing about, well, this is not the, we don't need institutional churches. Don't listen to them. It's a lot of garbage. The church is still the instrument, the pillar, the foundation for truth to be perpetuated. Amen. Husbands, love your wives just as. See, we use the first part when we do weddings. But just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. When we talk about the church, let's remember that Jesus loved the church. You talk about the church down the road, remember Jesus loved the church. The call that ones, not the building, not the denomination. He loves his people that are gathered in divine order and are biblically submitted in love and in submission of accountability and accountabilities of kindness. There's a unity there that is powerful. And then finally, we knew I was coming to an end. This is such a beautiful topic, one I love, but too short for this morning, is this. The church triumphs in the end. Come on. The church is victorious. The church does conquer. The church does get through. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth in Revelations 21. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. So now that goes down for the surfer dudes, but I think there'll be something better. Okay, anyway. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, New Jerusalem, the church, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And wipe, oh, there we go. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying. There will be no more pain. And the former things have passed away. Come on, that's good news. In the end, the church wins. The church is triumphant. And judge the journey and see what it looks like. I know you've often heard me use that story about the, the, the young convert who goes to his pastor and says, what must I do? And the pastor says, yeah, read the Bible. And he comes back next Sunday and the pastor says, what's the problem? He says, I'm very confused. I was reading the revolutions. The pastor said, no, maybe I should have told you where to read. But the young man says, but I, I did get something out of it. In the end, we win. Come on, in the end, we win. Let's stand up together this morning. Lord, we thank you for your church. 
We thank you that it's established on the apostles and prophets. We thank you for elders and leaders and deacons and champions and leaders in place. We thank you for apostolic connections through uh, recognized apostolic gifts into other churches. We thank you we're part of a family like tributaries running into a river. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are building your church. And you love your church. And you are preparing your church for the greatest victory. And the victory is that on that day, from every tribe and every tongue and every people. And just before I close this morning's service, I want to ask you, have you given your heart over completely to Christ? Jesus? Have you believed that it was His blood alone that can save you? Have you called on His name to be saved? The Bible makes it clear that there's only two kinds of people on earth. Those who are spiritually dead and those who are spiritually alive. To be made spiritually alive is to receive the free gift of life. If you've never done that, then I want you sincerely in your heart right now to pray with me. Maybe we'll all pray together because it's always a joy to pray this prayer. Father God, thank you for Jesus, for his death, burial, and resurrection. Through his blood, all sin was paid for and new life was offered in the resurrection. This morning, I say yes. Lord Jesus Christ, be my Lord and my Savior. My sins, I confess, the destruction of sin is broken. And I ask Holy Spirit that you come and fill me now.